thanks for having me. Uh, Ray, thanks for giving me the chance to have a word today. Um, this morning, I'm going to share with you guys something that I've learned uh, from the Holy Spirit, from God, over the last couple of months. Um, when we arrived in New Zealand, uh, I had the privilege of actually not doing anything for about seven months, uh, just running in the mountains and actually just spending time with, uh, with God, which I never had um, as a doctor, don't have that much time always. So in that seven months, uh, he showed quite a lot to me. And uh, when uh, Ray asked me to, to preach today, I was wondering what I should share with you guys. And I came across some of my notes and uh, I just saw something that God showed me a while ago. And uh, yeah, I just went through it again and it just gave me some excitement in my soul again and in my spirit. And I thought I'll share it with you guys. Um, also told one of my friends in Auckland that I'll be speaking or preaching or teaching today, whatever you want to call it. Um, and he's done actually multiple missions in Africa, preaching as well, so I thought I'll get some wisdom from someone who's done it before. And the word that he had for me is, is the following verse. Um, it says in Romans 10 verse 15, And how will they preach unless they are commissioned and sent for that purpose? Just as it is written and forever remains written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Mm. So as you saw on the advert on Facebook, which I didn't do, I'm sure it was Shannon. Um, <laughs> I'm an extreme trail runner. I wouldn't say extreme, but uh, I love trail running. So I'm not sure how beautiful my feet are. That's why I have shoes on today, uh, so you can't see my feet. Um, but I am sure that I'm going to bring good news of good things this morning. Cool, come on. So good. So as I was preparing, can you just put up the second slide? Um, as I was preparing for um, this morning, there was just a verse that stood up at me in the, um, while I was going through the Bible. And it says, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So this morning I really believe that um, it's not JP preaching, it's the Holy Spirit bringing you a message through me that I'm just a vessel for Him. It also says in the Bible that the wisdom of men is foolishness to God. So I'd rather give you a, a message from God than from my own heart. So just before we start, I'd just like to pray for us. So I just pray that your Spirit will just come and work through our hearts and uh, open up our hearts, open up our eyes and our ears for your Word. Take away all pride and uh, just open us up and make us, just make us humble before you, God. And I just ask you to use me as a vessel just to bring your word to the church today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so. Um, so before I start with my message, I haven't even started it. Um, <laughs> it's just the intro. Um, I just want to make sure that we are on the same page about a couple of things, a couple of thoughts. So. I'll start with a question, and my question this morning is maybe a bit weird, but uh, who of you still sin today? Right, so I, I, I still sin every day, even though I don't want to. Um, and I think we don't even realize always that we did sin during the day. Um, if you put on the next slide, um, even the great apostle Paul said, next one. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. So even the great Apostle Paul 
who was one of the greatest guys in the Bible, also had a problem with committing sin every now and again. So that makes me feel a little bit better. I think we're in, uh, in, good, in good company if, if Paul had the same problem. So my next question then is, who feels bad when they sin or regretted when they sin? So in the, in the past, I felt very frustrated and angry and disappointed with myself, uh, which led to a lot of condemnation and guilt. And sometimes we tend to hold on to sin, uh, whether it's done yesterday or a week ago, and even when we sin, when we weren't even born again. And if we hold on to sin, that leads to condemnation, and at the end of the day, condemnation kills. Condemnation and guilt is one of the biggest things that devil actually uses to deceive us. Um, and he deceives us that well that after a while he doesn't even have to do anything anymore. We do it, um, a good job of it ourselves. So, next slide. Um, in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 6 it says, God who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. In the New Living Translation, it says, He has enabled us to be ministers of His new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. So, I like Scripture. So today, it's going to be a bit more reading than uh, preaching. So, who also made us sufficient. So, us is everyone. It's all of us. It's not just some of us. It's just not just me. It's not just the pastor. All of us are sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. So we are supposed to be ministers of the new covenant, of the good news, of good things. And um, if we are condemning ourselves, how can we preach the good news and the new covenant ourselves as well? Um, and then it says, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So the letter here refers to the old covenant, the law, uh, the covenant that we couldn't keep up with, the, the covenant that uh, Jesus came to take away so we can live in a new covenant. Um, and then, but of the Spirit um, that gives life. So that is the, the Holy Spirit that lives in us uh, and gives life and He doesn't condemn us. So anything basically that is in your life that doesn't produce life isn't of the new covenant that we should live in. In the next slide, um, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 to 19 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Amen. All things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. I'll just stop there for a second. So, if you read there, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, so anyone, again, everyone, all of us who are born again, who are in Christ, are in, is a new creation. So a new creation is we are different. We are different than the people in the world. We should be a new species, a new beginning. We should look different in, in how we do things as well. Um, then it goes on and says, Behold, all things have become new. So not only 90% or 95% or 99% or just enough, all things have become new. So you should know that all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, 
not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So that's a mouthful, but it, it's incredible and it's amazing what the word says here. And I think we should really focus on, on this verse that um, reconciliation is mentioned four times in the two verses. So I, I really think God is trying to tell us something here in this verse. Mm. So what does reconciliation mean? So just checking myself again. Um, <clears throat> reconciliation means bringing back together again, making compatible with and reuniting it. So how cool is that that God, God that made us, God that made this whole world, has made us as human beings compatible with himself, has reunited himself with us. Um, and how, is he did, how did he do this? He did this through Jesus Christ, the one and only Jesus Christ. But what's even cooler than that is God was in Jesus Christ. So God has reconciled himself with himself, through himself. And at the end of the day, we are only the beneficiaries, beneficiaries of that. We didn't do anything to deserve that. Uh, and that is the good news. That is the gospel. That is the great news. Um, so do you see that Jesus took our place in this agreement? Mm. Um, so I can talk about this verse for quite a while, uh, but uh, yeah, you can go on. Thanks a lot. Yeah, you can just leave it there. So I can talk about this verse for quite a while, uh, but still not my message for this morning. Um, and this is just verse 19 in the Amplified. It actually says, um, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them, but cancelling them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, and that is restoration to favor with God. So also in those verses that stands out for me is that God has cancelled our sins. God is not imputing sin anymore to our lives. And that's not because God can't remember. That's not because he's got a memory problem or there's too many sins. Just God just loves us that much that He's not counting our sins against us anymore. Um, and the reason why He does that is because He loves us so much. So if you can just go to the next verse. So in 1 John 4 verse 10 it says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins. So in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us. Um, and that's why God is not imputing our sins to us anymore. He loves us so much that He doesn't want to even think about it. And He sees you whiter than snow. So the great news about this is actually we all qualify for this because we all sin. We all said earlier, who still sins? And we all sin. So we all qualify for this free gift. And uh, praise to God that our perfect high priest is Jesus Christ. Mm. Alright, so now that now most of my nerves is gone, <laughs> I can start with my message for this morning. So, um, just keep in mind everything I've mentioned so far, um, and that's why I'm building on for this, the morning's message. So, next slide. Uh, in Romans 8 verse 1, it says, Therefore, there, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Alright, so it says there is therefore now. So we'll just stop at now. So when is now? Now was yesterday, now is today, now is tomorrow, now is in this world, it's not in heaven, it's now. So there's now at this point of time no condemnation for us who are in Christ. So 
And then it says, there's now no condemnation. So no is also, zip, not nothing. All right, so there's no condemnation. Not just a little bit to make you feel a little bit um, guilty, just a little bit of condemnation. There's no condemnation. Mm. So am I saying you shouldn't feel any regret, you shouldn't feel sorry about sin? It's not what I'm saying. I think what God shows us in the Bible is that there's a biblical or godly way of feeling sorrow about sin. And there's also a worldly way of feeling sorry about sin. And that is what I'm going to show you today and what I think God has revealed to me. I'll get back to that in a second. So Ray has actually already talked about this cool guy. His name is Paul. So Paul must have been one of the greatest apostles in the Bible, if not maybe the greatest guy. wrote most of the New Testament. And uh, most of the time I don't really understand him because he writes one paragraph in one sentence so you have to like start over and over and over again <laughs> but Paul was is to me almost like Rafael Nadal of today you think you have him cornered you think you are beating him now you think you have him pinned down and he just comes back at you with some power and some really uh, uh, determination and guts um, so if you don't know who Rafael Nadal is, just ask the guy next to you, or just go and watch some tennis or read some news. Um, but yeah, that's Paul. So Paul started and planted a lot of churches um, all over the, over the world, um, and whether that was through sending, and he also actually followed up with these churches a lot to see that they're still um, going in the right direction, in the right gospel, in the new covenant. Uh, and whether he did that with letters or with other apostles that he sent there to go and check up on them, uh, he always had a way to, to hear that there's trouble there or there's something going on there. He always spoke his mind. He was brutally honest at times. And he still, um, yeah, and that's it from him. Um, so Paul also planted the church in Corinth. Um, and these people actually got the message from Paul. So they got the best message from one of the best preachers ever. Uh, he stayed with them for a while and then he left for Ephesus. And after he was in Ephesus for a while, he got news that the church in Corinth actually um, is rebelling against the word that he spread, the, the new covenant. There was a rebellion going on. People were going off uh, the new covenant into uh, false doctrine. Um, and then Paul wrote some letters to Corinth to instruct them and to correct them. Um, a couple of his first letters didn't really make a difference and then after a while there was a turn after he wrote what they call a severe letter as well um, he also sent uh, Titus there to go and check how they are um, and this is where this passage comes in, this is after Paul uh, wrote his, uh, his message so if you put up the yeah, that's the right one, thank you um, so this is the one um, I'm just going to read through it and this is where my message is coming out today. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. Next slide. Okay, put up the next one. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what fearing of yourself, what indignation, 
what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all these things you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. Now I know Paul was actually writing to the church of Corinth, so if you actually put it in context, it's actually only written for them. Um, and it was because of this rebellion that was going on um, in, in Corinth, and he was actually glad that they turned, and uh, the, the majority turned back to the new covenant. But I do feel that there's a message for us in this verse as well for today that we can apply to our lives. So I asked in the beginning of the message, who still sins, and who feels bad or regrets it when they uh, sin. Now this bad feeling can either lead to repentance, which is a good thing if understood correctly, um, or to condemnation and death. So what I'm trying to say is, we either react to correction or instruction, whether it's from God or from fellow Christians, with a godly sorrow, which leads to life, or uh, with worldly sorrow, which can lead to death. So let's look at the verse again, and I'm just going to go from verse 10 to 11. So it says firstly, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. So firstly, godly sorrow leads to repentance. Um, I think the word repentance brings a lot of negative uh, emotions that a lot for a lot of people. People see it as pleading with God uh, for forgiveness, falling onto your knees and begging Him not to punish you. But if you actually go and uh, check what the word repentance means, um, the Greek word for repentance is metanoia. Yeah, hallelujah. Um, so the Greek word for repentance is metanoia. And metanoia means uh, a change of mind, change of, your, um, change of your state, change of your heart. So it actually means just changing your mind and thoughts about something and thinking differently. And as soon as you do this, your life automatically changes and you head in a different direction. So it's not trying to, to do things differently on your own strength with your own might. It's just a change of mind and then changing your ways um, automatically. So repentance, I believe, is also an ongoing process. I think I need to renew my mind daily to know what is pleasing to God, to know what the will of God is. To put up the next slide, in Romans 12 verse 2 it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that's quite cool. It says, uh, and do not be conformed to this world and be transformed by the renewing of your minds. How do we renew our minds? So to renew your mind is to spend time in the world, word, uh, spend time in church with people who are filled with Christ, spend time with friends that uh, know Jesus, take instruction from them. That's how we renew our mind every day. But what's even cooler, it says that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Not that rage tells you what the will of God is, not that someone else tells you what the will of God is, but if you renew your mind every day, you can know what the will of God is, and who doesn't want to know what the will of God so is? Now, making it sound very easy, I don't know what the will of God always is, but the Bible says that we can know what the, it actually says the perfect will of God is. So, renewing your mind, repentance, is just by spending time in the Word, being at His feet, being with people that fill you more and more um, with Him. Right, so that was the first one. Um, godly sorrow leads to repentance. So if you just, next slide. So godly sorrow produces diligence. So when you are diligent, you do things thoroughly, you do it very well, you are tireless, you are persevering, 
Uh, you do it with a great purpose. And that sounds a lot like Paul, sounds a lot like Rafael Nadal. Um, so when you have godly sorrow, um, you become diligent. Where worldly sorrow on the other side uh, makes you feel lazy, makes you feel that you don't want to do anything, almost a feeling of depression and what does it actually matter. Godly sorrow also produces clearing of yourself. So you are made completely free. You are um, you are made completely free of what caused condemnation, and you are blameless. So remember what we said before: uh, God does not impute our sins to us anymore. So you have a spirit that's whiter than snow. You are completely clear. You are completely blameless. Mm. So the best way for me to do this in a practical way uh, during uh, during my life, during every day is to always look unto Jesus and to see the sacrifice that he paid and not to look unto my sin. So always to focus on Jesus. The Bible says that the God may, uh, that God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be the sin for us, so that we could be the righteousness of God in him. So let us not make the sacrifice that Jesus paid for us void, and let's look at him and see our righteousness in him. God sees us righteous, and He sees us holy, no matter what you think or what you do. Um, so He always sees you righteous. So whenever you doubt that you are forgiven, whenever you feel that you're not worth it, always look unto Jesus, your perfect high priest, and that's who you are. Because as Jesus is, so are we in this world. So it's not in the world to come. It's not in the other world. It says, as Jesus is, and right now, so are we in this world. So... Always think about that when you feel that I'm not worth anything, I'm not uh, good enough, or you feel condemned. Always think, as Jesus is, so am I in this world. I am the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Where worldly sorrow, on the other hand, always points to your sin. It says, look at yourself. Look at, you're not good enough. Uh, just adding more and more condemnation. Um, then it says, godly sorrow leads to indignation. So I had to look up what indignation means as well. So it means anger towards what you were blamed for unfairly. So I do feel that we blame ourselves unfairly for a lot of things. And the one that's most responsible for that is usually the devil that comes and deceives us. Um, so it leads to indignation, almost anger towards the devil, anger towards sin. So what I want to say is hate the sin, but don't hate the sinner. Don't hate yourself. Uh, worldly sorrow leads to more unjust blaming. It all feels like your fault and you're not good enough. So godly sorrow leads to fear. So I just put in something there. I said godly sorrow leads to godly fear. So I think, again, this is something that the world has corrupted in our minds. The fear of the Lord is not hiding away, being afraid of, uh, of Him coming to punish you. But the fear of the Lord is to have a great respect for Him, to be in awe of God, of what He's done for you. If you know how much you are forgiven, if you know how much uh, He loves you, if you know that you are completely free of sin, that leaves you with awe of God, with respect of God. Um, and that's what I think godly fear is. So godly fear usually leads to praise and worship and not hiding away from God. Then it says godly sorrow also leads to vehement desire. So vehement means intense, urgent, passionate, and powerful. So I believe that godly sorrow will create an intense, urgent desire to please God and actually a powerful drive towards Him. Where worldly sorrow, again, changes your desire, actually lessens your desire to change, 
and it actually lets you drift further and further away from God. So instead of drifting further and further away, get a powerful drive towards God. Um, Godly sorrow, this is the last one. Godly sorrow, the second last one. Godly sorrow leads to zeal. So zeal is to have a willingness and energy for God, almost like the youth. So Psalm 103 verse 5 says, God satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So age is just a number. Let God renew your youth every day. Get a zeal like the youth have for God. Have that energy for God, jumping around here, praise and worship, and create that as well. And then lastly, godly sorrow gives vindication. So again, a clearing of yourself of all blame and fault. So true godly sorrow will always lead to the truth. And as I said, that is, as Jesus is, so am I in this world. So not in the world to come, but in this world. So if you say, as Jesus is, so am I, Jesus is perfect and he's blameless. So the world will always point you towards your mistakes and flaws, but God wants you to look at Jesus and look as in the mirror how you are being transformed from glory to glory into his image. So all this might sound like a checklist to you, um, and I don't want you to think that at all. Um, if we make it a checklist, we're falling back into the law, we're falling back into the old covenant of rules and regulations that we couldn't keep. Um, I think all these things come automatically as soon as we realize how much God loves us, as soon as we realize how much uh, and totally we are forgiven, as soon as we realize that the devil is deceiving us, as soon as we realize that we have the same spirit as Jesus Christ, as soon as we realize that we are the righteousness of God in Christ, as soon as we realize that greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world, and as soon as we realize that Jesus is as Jesus is, so are we in this world. So next time when you do something wrong, and that little voice tells you, how could you, you should not, you should know better, you're not worth anything, you should be ashamed, turn your focus to Jesus, see your perfect high priest, um, see your perfect high priest, know that you are the righteousness of God, know that as Jesus is, so are you in this world, rather than feeling condemned, you suddenly feel a clearing of your mind, a godly anger towards the devil that's accusing you falsely, an eagerness to praise him because he has forgiven you, a powerful drive towards God because you realize how much he loves you and the zeal to do things for, for him. I believe that all these things come alive in us because of the Holy Spirit that lives in us and doesn't convict us of our sins. We do a good enough job of it ourselves, but I do believe that He rather convicts us of our righteousness in God and that we are forgiven. So I invite you to meditate on these things. Keep your focus on Jesus, not on your, um, not on your sin, and you'll start being transformed in spirit, soul, and body. That's good. So there is a freeness that comes when we realize that there is now no condemnation for us that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thanks. Amen.